This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson on a momentous momentous day in UCLA Athletics. There's been a lot of stuff. Huge day. Huge news day. So we try to what? Uh, Right now, this time of year, nine stories a day. Yeah. We had nine. And it was Dave's day to publish. Poor Dave. Poor Dave. Well, not actually, because you had so much. But you had nine stories, but like by 9.30? Yeah, no, I've... I've, um, (laughs) We're at during the season, by the way, we do like 14. Right. But right now, um, August 3rd, you know, we'll get into football practice and some of the limitations there. I was anticipating this being because we knew a Daimara was probably happening today. I was anticipating today to be like a, a nine or a tenner. Uh, yeah. It's it's already, I think, at 13, something like that. Um, it's going to be a crazy one. There was expected news. There was also some stuff that came down the pike um, in terms well, of some well, basketball Let's just set visits. the headlines. Why don't we set the headlines? Let's set the there headlines. Was, yeah. A, a die Mata. A die Mata. Uh, went public with his verbal commitment, and UCLA actually did it also. Same time. Uh, let's say with basketball, two big unofficial visitors on campus. Yep. Uh, Brandon McCoy and Braden Burries, two of my favorite players on the West Coast. Uh Gene Block. Gene Block. Gene Chaka Block. He's um, announced that he is leaving. Was it June 2024? When was July it? 2024. July. That'll be his, uh, his his final rodeo. I mean, we'll just say maybe that might be the biggest decision about UCLA athletics in our lifetimes. So, uh, yeah, that's a headline. Uh, football just started. We have two days of practice. And Mike we went, watched Mike went, a total of 36 seconds. Mike was crushing practice today. We had interviews, videos, and uh, practice report. There was a boom. There was a boom. Kind of got snuck in there, but there was a boom. <laughs> Forgot about the boom. And uh, there's a lot. Go- we could do one show entirely on realignment. Yeah, because it's just so damn interesting. Um, so there's there's a lot to cover today. Uh, you know, we say that sometimes and there isn't, but today there actually is. Today we're not lying. So we're going to go Adai Mata up front. We're going to go Gene Block because that's some breaking news that actually has some significant ramifications for the future of UCLA, as Tracy just alluded to. We're going to go into football practice. Um, you know, We'll probably talk about as much about football practice as we're allowed in per day, which is about 15 minutes. And then we got to finish up with some realignment talk, because this is all just too crazy. So let's Ready, start it. Go. Let's let's start it up. Uh, Adai Mata, as we've been talking about for a very, very long time now, um, he's been more or less verbally committed, uh, maybe not publicly committed, but verbally committed for a long time. Uh, today went public with not only his commitment, but actually having signed uh, with UCLA. So that that comes a day after he announced his departure from uh, Casa de Mont Zaragoza. And now he's uh, signed with UCLA. Um, this is now in that same kind of done deal territory as Alain Fabloy. And uh, and Jan Vide, so um, very exciting. Uh, you know, we've we've talked about him a bunch, but any new thoughts on how he fits into this uh, this this team this year? Um, he's a he's a five all the way. Everyone's making these strange comparisons, and and he's not. He's a five. He's a straight on five. Um, so think about how you might plug what it really is is how other players plug him around him as a five. What do you do with the Dembona if you were going to play them together? 
I mean, most of the time, as we've talked about before, they probably won't be on the court at the same time. They'll both, you know, there's 40 minutes at the post. They'll combine for probably almost all of those 40 minutes. But there might be times. Yep. And the more I think about it, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm just very intrigued <laughs> because of a die. Uh, I'm sorry, because of a Dembona. Who he can guard and defend. Can he defend a typical four? Can he defend a typical three? Because then you're saying Burke being Tunchel, Bayou Tunchel. Nice try. Know, I, I like that. I, I tried to flow and it just didn't. Yeah. Could be on the floor with all, all three of them could be on the floor at the same time. So Adai a, a Mata will dramatically impact UCLA's offense. There right now, as it stands, how he is offensively. If you watched any of the U18 team, in that uh, Euro championship, the offense flowed through him. They tried to get him touches. The other, the defense collapsed on him. I mean, this is what UCLA will do. This is what Mick Cronin will do because at 7'3", even though he's skinny at 245 pounds, which is amazing, he is an offensive weapon. If he catches the ball anywhere within 10 feet, he might travel, (laughs) But that is going to impact UCLA's offense significantly. Uh, defense, he's a great shot block. Could you? I just got to, before I forget, if all, so Bearcase is a great shot blocker. We know Dembona is a great shot blocker. And uh, Adai Mata is a great, if all three of those guys are on the same court at the same time, is anyone going to get a shot off? This is a little hyperbole, but it's fun. Within, within 10 feet of the basket. So, it's going to be crazy. Huge. It's going to be crazy. The, the, the thought of having at least two of those guys on the court at the same time is it just your mind reels. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, the, the, the thing that I think is kind of, I mean, I, we sell it, but I, I think maybe getting undersold in all of this is um, the amazing way that UCLA went international in this cycle. I, I think, you know, because we've been talking about it for so long, and there were the brief little inroads last year in terms of getting Abramazanka, the initial um, the initial entreaties to Edgy Demir and Burke. Um, but it's really only been about one year. And in that one year, UCLA just landed four, I mean, elite to borderline elite prospects in international waters. So, like, Two things about just that. that recruiting class. Yeah, and if and, I think if twenty four seven had seen these guys a lot, because there's a little caveat when they come to ranking them or rating them, if they, they haven't seen them a lot, they they can't do them justice. But I, if they had seen these four guys, I think UCLA would have the number one rated class in twenty twenty three. Yeah, and 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 two things about that. One on on, on the first uh, bit of it is for UCLA to be able to pivot like that. And to do it on a dime and to do it in response to market forces, to do it where coaches are not elastic thinkers by and large. Like you're generally, well, this is the way I've done it. So this is the way I'm going to continue to do it. For a guy like Mick Cronin, who has, I I mean, if you go back through Mick Cronin's career, he made his bones as a domestic recruiter, as, you know, Rick Patino's like main, main guy. For him to go from that from recruiting at Cincinnati where you're just you're basically picking guys from that area you're you're doing that to then recruiting at UCLA with all these you know kind of national prospects and then say okay we need to pivot again we're going to go look in Europe we're going to get the best uh possible european assistant we can get and then we're going to uh that's going to be our new competitive advantage to have the awareness to do that is insane like just to, to make that decision, that strategic and tactical decision, and then and then the second part is executing it this well. This this none of this was easy. Yeah. None of these recruitments were easy. None of these like Elon Fablois Fablais. Jeez, I'm never gonna get Fibloy. it right. Whatever. His recruitment was, uh, you know, quote unquote semi traditional. You know, you had to beat out some some regular factors. But with Mata, with with Burke. These were long processes that involved factors that aren't necessarily present in uh, domestic recruiting. Uh, by and large, they are not present in domestic recruiting. 
to have the patience, the savvy to get through all of that in your first run through as an international recruiter is insane. Um, so the, the, the success of this class, I, I don't think it should be undersold at all. Like this is a, it's a seismic shift. You may have some complications about UCLA going international versus recruiting domestically, but you have to acknowledge how impressive this is. Well, it's you, you, you hit, you made the point, but we can't emphasize it enough. Coaches don't change. They don't. It's the way they, they learned how to coach early on. They learn from their mentors, and that's the way they coach. They might tweak it a little. Mick Cronin has changed course. I mean, uh, on the way he coaches, too. Remember, he had a rigid offense. Then suddenly, hey, I, if you if you listen to what all the recruits are saying, I love UCLA's offense. They give them freedom. Wow. Yeah, Mick Cronin didn't do that the first at least the first year. Um, he is now. Uh, he he adapted to four out and one in, changed that completely, pivoted from recruiting the U.S. to going overseas and knowing I've got to go out and get an uh, international recruiter in Evo Simovich. I mean, so many coaches before him have said, you know, I think UCLA could do really well recruiting internationally, but nah, I'm not. I, I can't. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Wow. That's that's probably really it might be right up there as one of the most imp impressive uh, accomplishments that we've seen from Mick Cronin at UCLA. Insane recognition, like in yeah. just it's 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 a masterclass in like being a leader and being a, a, and being a, you know kind of a, a um a program head like just to be able to pivot like that is not something you see it's very rare and i just want to touch on this class because right now it's uh, i'm looking at the rankings and i i know this is silly they're ranked 13th but there's a couple of guys who haven't been ranked yet um <laughs> right now alan fibloy is rated 40th in the country that's I don't think that's accurate. Um, Jan Vide is ranked 211th. I'm hearing he's going to get re-rated. Uh, so he he will have a different rating. You are then adding Adai Mata, who is reasonably a top 10 prospect. I mean, 24-7 being probably kind of conservative. Well, top 25, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. Uh, because he is projected as a top five to 10 and an NBA draft pick next year. And then Berke, a top 25 projected NBA draft pick has to be top 30. You would, you would think. So this is, this is what, and we're not even talking about Sebastian Mack, Brandon Williams and, and Devin Williams. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the foundation for the next four years of UCLA basketball is just sitting there. And too. then, Lazar Stefanovic, who's going to be a solid player for them for two years. So, we're when when this is all said and done with Bearcase signed, we're going to have to really dedicate a whole broadcast to this. Might be the best recruiting class in that we've ever seen in in, in very recent UCLA history, no doubt. And honest to God, um, if you go back through what you were initially writing about the twenty twenty three class, like all that stuff about they need wings, you know, all of that, uh, all the wing puns, remember, um, yep. from back in the day. And yep. then they went out and just, I mean, literally every possible need they've hit. Um, with Stefanovic, if you're, if you're buying any of the reports, he is lighting it up in practice um, from three. Uh, and all this stuff, it's just, they've got pretty much every need hit. Now, the, the one thing they don't have is experience, but I mean, we'll get into this a little bit closer to the season, and we do want to do a, a whole thing on the class itself. But um, again, just a ton of reason to be excited if you're yeah. UCLA. Yeah, and then I ran into Jan Vide. You did, yeah. And his parents at Luskin. Yes, you were talking incredibly, to his parents for a good Incredibly nice. I talked to his parents. They they came up to me again and wanted to talk. I don't think they wanted to get on their plane, is what it was. No. They wanted it. To have to miss their plane and stay, I think. It yes, uh, it's L.A., baby. Um, yep. 
All right, so that's Daimata, big deal. Um, if you haven't read our commitment analysis yet, read that. If you haven't seen the release from UCLA, check it out. It's also on Bro. And if you haven't uh, read our initial commitment story, get in on that. Uh, before we get too far into this, if you are listening to this and you are not currently a subscriber to Bruin Report Online, uh, until 9 p.m. tonight, Thursday, August 3rd, you can sign up for an annual subscription to Bro for 75% off. What that means is you can get the best analysis on UCLA football and basketball. You can get access to the premium message boards for like $2 and some odd cents per month. It's an insane deal. Get in on it. If you and we're not already. supposed to say this, but we'll say it because only a few people listen to this. And if you get past your promotional period, you get Paramount Plus. That's true. And which is a deal in itself right there. But yeah, yes. So uh, it's a great deal. Um, you should if you are at all interested in what we are saying about UCLA sports. It's the we, we obviously uh, toot in our own horn. Uh, we do a good job. But you also get access and, to a, yeah. a, a, a huge community of obsessives about UCLA. So if you've been just searching for people to I want to talk about a Daimata with people. And nobody cares. You're like talking to your wife about it and she doesn't care. You're talking to your kids about it, but they're three. They don't even understand what you're saying. This is a community of people. They are your people. They will they will uh, hear whatever they you have to They care too say. much. Yes. So if you are in the group of people who, I want to care about this or I care too much about it already, uh, come here. We'll be your therapy. Um, just to finish off basketball, two uh, unofficial visitors. 2024 guard Brandon Burys, top 20 uh, recruit UCLA is going hard after him, offered him in spring, loved him. My favorite player that I saw spring and summer plays his ass off really tough, really skilled. He is, he is like a guy that Mick Cronin would just, he's, he's the spirit animal kind of guy. Um, and then Brandon McCoy, uh, 2020, um, I'm yeah. 2026 point guard. Correct. So wait, brain Burrs is 2025. Yeah. Brandon McCoy, 2026 point guard, 6'3", one of those strangely athletic guys. Fold his body up to like about six inches from the ground and then go up and throw down a thunderous dunk. Uh, just take the ball right around you and you can't even see it and then pull up and hit a three. Uh, every time he plays in a tournament, every, every rider comes away saying, that's one of the most talented kids I've seen in a long time. So... Um, those two guys are on campus today. Coincidentally, it wasn't like they're friends. They decided to do it together. It's just with their schedules, that's how it worked out. So that's a big day, too. We'll probably have a report or something about how their visits were coming soon. Yes. All right. Uh, next up, we got to talk about Gene Block. Um, UCLA's chancellor, Gene Block, announced today he's retiring at the end of the school year. I'm um, going to carry it through the end of June. And then he is saying sayonara to UCLA. He's been a fixture. He's been in place since August 1st, 2007. That was back when I was in college. I am now an old man with gray hair. Uh, he's been there a while. Um, beard. Yes. Uh, so he has just taken it back through. He was hired when Carl Durrell was still the head coach of the football team. He was hired when Ben Howland was still going to Final Fours at UCLA. So he's overseen a huge kind of shift in UCLA athletics. He also famously oversaw the uh, move to the Big Ten last year. Um, you know, that was a that was a gene block sign off. That happens at the presidential level. Uh, athletic director driven, but that happens at the presidential level. And then, uh, to his immense credit, uh, he was a stalwart in uh, holding out against the UC Regents uh, to prevent any walking back of that decision. So... He played a role in that, but that goes to show you, everyone out there, how important the chancellor or president level is in this new and changing world of college athletics where realignment happens very quickly. Changes happen very quickly. TV deals are of immense importance, and there are going to be continuing changes coming down the pike. Eventually, and I think sooner rather than later, athletes are going to be paid by the universities or by the conferences themselves. Uh, or they're going to get a cut of the TV deals themselves. There's going to be some form that takes. There's going to be a situation where the NCAA no longer exists. This will require strong governance uh, from president-level people. It's going to require a little bit more uh, constant eye and dedication from these executive-level folks. And that makes this this next chancellor hire 
extremely important uh, for UCLA's athletic future. And you just looked at the overview, the the macro of all this. But um, like I said, most important, it will be the most important decisions of development for the rest of our lives. If you are as a UCLA fan, um, I, like you, you laundry listed some of the great things that Gene Block did, and he has from that macro kind of perspective. Um, the micro perspective of the university administration's approach and attitude to athletics could be better. Um, That's what you have to hope for is that you have a more athletic friendly chancellor. And that might not even be someone who's a rah-rah fan, you know, on the sideline knows all the sports and it's just really pro sport. It might just be a guy who, you know, just lets it happen. He's not overseeing it or dictating so strictly what athletics should be at UCLA. And that is what, what Gene Block is when it comes to the micro, when it comes to not recognizing seriously what UCLA athletics could be. When UCLA starts getting a lot of money, um, it is going to be key to have that chancellor have some kind of vision for UCLA football and basketball to envision what it could be. Um, that uh, that makes everyone I know who has worked at UCLA, who currently works at UCLA, the donors around both programs have said, yeah, the athletic director can, can limit things, he can do this, but the a- athletic director is only taking his marching order, orders from the chancellor. This, this, they all have, everyone unanimously will say the chancellor's attitude towards sports, the vision towards sports is what defines UCLA football and basketball and, and its limitations or its potential. Yeah. So huge, huge decision. And so the, who, the, who will be the next chance. And the critical factor here is how much importance anyone on the hiring committee places on what we're saying here, um, how much of a factor it is in their decision making, because the reality is, and I've seen this argument bandied about a lot from UCLA folks who are not as necessarily invested in athletics is UCLA is already the most applied to university, uh, I think, in the world. Uh, And then on top of that, it already doesn't have anything remotely resembling a fundraising problem at the university level. And so the because the argument for athletics at many universities is good athletics raises the profile of the university and uh, 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 engenders donations to not just athletics, but to the university as a whole. But if you don't have a problem in those two areas, do you really need athletics? And my argument would be you can't understand the value of athletics to UCLA um, at, a, at a fundamental level until you took it away. Um, but if you if you took away uh, elite level athletics, um, then I think you would see a major impact. I think there's branding value to athletics. There is um, an inherent value that I think does show up in those application totals. I mean, I think the reality of you know seeing you know UCLA uniforms on your TV screen when you're sitting at home in whatever Illinois, and then you're like, I want to apply there because that looks cool as hell. Uh, you know, it's it's in as much as anything is athletics is the front facing marketing of your university. Um, and yes, and anybody who's worked in any business can understand this. If your business is successful, a lot of people say, well, what do we need marketing for? Um, and again, if you take it away, you might suddenly understand what you needed it for, but then it's a disaster. Um, but, but there are also examples of, athletic departments, football programs that suddenly had a lot of success and the whole profile. I mean, I know what you're saying, take it away and then you'll know, but there are examples where they did really well, say in football and the university's prestige and brand jumped up. No, no, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Texas A&M is a great example. When Johnny USC under uh, Carol, but when Johnny Manziel was, was winning 10 games a year, their donations to the university as a whole went up like $500 million a year. Um, in in, in, pure insanity. What I'm saying is UCLA, because it is already super high profile, 
you wouldn't be able to determine that based on simply continuing to invest in athletics and continuing to make it an important thing or even raising it up a little bit in terms of importance. It would be a catastrophic situation where they, you know, suddenly decide, hey, we're not going to participate in athletics. And then you'll suddenly discover, oh, wait, that actually was really important. Um, and so I think for the next, because UCLA, because all schools are going to be faced with certain unique challenges going forward in terms of paying athletes, in terms of all these things that are going to be the semi-professionalization of college sports, there are going to be a certain percentages of, of universities, and UCLA is going to be one of them, where there are going to be academic voices at UCLA who say, we don't want to participate in that. We don't want to Stanford. participate. Stanford. Exactly. We don't want to participate in that. And the caution that that new chancellor has to have about reducing the profile of UCLA athletics, I think that needs to be supremely weighed in here because it's going to be important to continue having an athletic program and continuing having a high level athletic program for the continuing marketing, perpetuation of donations, perpetuation of applications for the university. And for me, the bar is low. Um, you are, you're, and I get this, uh, the dream is that you have a chancellor who's very pro athletics and recognizes the, the branding and marketability of a highly successful football, let's just say football program. UCLA has a chance, could very well be Michigan in football. It's, it's a great example. Let's say a chancellor recognized that. Fantastic. But uh, my bar is low. I just, UCLA could achieve at a very high level and be very competitive at a very high level in football just with a chancellor who didn't restrict the athletic department. Right now there are restrictions. There are limitations because the academic side doesn't think it's becoming. I mean, it's just not what they want to be known for, right? Right. If, if, the, if the chancellor just kind of almost looked the other way, didn't care that much and let the athletic department do what it needed to do, that would be enough right there. Yeah. Especially with all the money coming down the pike from the Big Ten. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll I don't know how extensively we're going to hear about um chancellor selection um you know we're we'll, not going to have a hot board no there no. won't be a hot board because I, I think our understanding and our knowledge of like neuroscientists uh currently working at like vanderbilt is uh limited 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 at yeah. best unless it's a history phd <laughs> in history guy. maybe uh yeah. but if i mean obviously we might hear a couple rumblings towards the end of the process would be my guess but um it's going to be hugely important so something everyone should be tuned into um, next up. All right. So I did not anticipate this getting third billing on, uh, the second day of fall camp, but fall camp started or as Tracy wait, likes to call to, it, wait, as let's Tracy just likes one, to call it, August camp. Let's do one more thing. People are going to say, why didn't you talk about this? Martin Jarman, the UCLA athletic director did apply for the athletic director job at USC. As one does. We had said that before, but what everyone was asking us to confirm it. Um, I had also heard that he was actively pursuing it. I've also heard that it's unlikely that he gets the job. So there you go. Uh, you're going to ask our opinion of it. We won't tell you. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's, that's, a, a, that's a hard no comment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there will be comments at a later date. I can promise you that people. Yes. Um, there always are. All right. Um, Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Football practice starting up. Uh, yesterday was the first practice. Tracy and I were both out there today. Mike was out there. Um, obviously, a ton of storylines to watch and follow. Unfortunately, and I don't, I, I don't want to turn this into a wine fest because I know nobody wants to hear it. Um, but uh, the reality is, access has been further restricted uh, beyond what it was previously. Previously, which we whined about at the time, it was about twenty five 
maybe 30 minutes on a given day. They would say 20, but sometimes it went 25 plus. Yeah, and so we would come in when they were still doing their stretch lines, then they would do special teams, and then they would do three or four individual drills, and then we would get out of there. So it worked out to like uh, five or six periods, but that first period of special teams usually lasted like eight to 10 minutes. So it worked out to a, a decent amount of time where we could actually do like a, a roll call and also do all the things that we need to do to do our jobs properly. It yeah. was good at assessing status of players. Not good at not good, evaluation. but better than what we had. Not good yeah. at evaluation or anything like that, but we could at no, least no. usually get eyeballs on whoever we needed to get eyeballs on to determine, you know, what's the general status of the team. Now what it is is we're being let in well after special teams are over, um, so we don't have any of that preamble period, and we're just getting boom, 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 individual drills um, that are good. I mean, I don't, I don't want to begrudge the individual drills. It's good to see the linebackers up close, the defensive line up close, defensive backs up close, but we don't see the full team. Uh, we don't see the injured. We don't see anybody coming in or out of Wasserman really uh, in that stretch of time. And it's almost impossible to take accurate role uh, in any kind of sense with all these things flying around when we're trying to shoot video, we're trying to write a practice report, we're trying to do a variety of things in that time. So, again, these are just caveats. There's going to be even a little bit less that we can provide in terms of uh, uh, our eyes analysis. What that probably means is we're going to have to get a little bit more uh, behind the scenes information, but... So anyway, which we got for you yesterday. Um, yeah, I, you know, everyone loves to argue about this. So many pro football programs out there do this. They restrict access by the media. That's true. Uh, not as much. Uh, this is on the far end, really, um, I'd say, Com comparatively, if you're talking, you know, the whole spectrum of media access at, at August football camp. Um, the argument, I, you know, I heard the argument, you know, Chip Kelly needs to do what he needs to do to be successful. This has Every nothing to do with their success. Every single football player I've ever known, if I asked them, if the media watched the first five practices where you're not even in pads yet, is that going to impact the season at all? And they looked at me like I had no idea, like I was an idiot. Because, no, it, it won't. <laughs> it, you can't draw anything from that i mean you can draw the status of players i think that's dave seriously i think that's where this is gone they're not letting us look at the end of warm-ups over there because we can see what players are walk are not in warm-ups and walking in and out of wasserman yeah that's what this is mostly about that we were doing too good of a job of recognizing the status of players and now we can't as well so on august 3rd the status of a player for, I mean, that's, I think that's the reasoning behind this for a game a month from now. Yeah. It's, I mean, so my, t I, I'm like a, I'm an absolute. And, and wait, I got one more thing before your rant, one, my final rant. I'm an old man. I can't stand there forever. Nine o'clock. We didn't get in until 932. Yes. We stood out there. Well, first we were 10 minutes early just to make sure we're there on time. And we had to say, it's just, it's not a, it's not a good, and we, oh, so there's a few things. Rant. We didn't get the schedule for it until the day before. We didn't get the schedule of practices until the day before. And then we didn't know. We have lives. We were told to get there at nine for practice. Um, and then we were left waiting outside for 32 minutes while I'm sure, and I'm not really blaming our, our, our sports information team on this. Well, I'm sure football shared with them the last minute info that no, 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 the media is not allowed in until period three, when we'd always been allowed in for period one. Um, so we're left waiting out there when everyone could have just been told 930 is the time because the yeah. Chip Kelly is good at a practice schedule. He knows he knows how it goes. I mean, yeah, he, that's not random. Yeah, that's not arbitrary. They know what times things happen at. Um, and so it's just. It's, it's for us, you know, it's again, nobody wants to hear us whine, but it's the, uh, the courtesy of, you know, these are people that we are in a roughly symbiotic relationship with, um, roughly, roughly, uh, I'm sure they don't think it's symbiotic in any way that sure they think we, we are parasites, but, um, we, we do have to work together on some of this stuff and just sharing basic information. Like 
I would feel much less annoyed if we didn't have to stand out there for 30 minutes before it opened. Uh, kind of my thing. Yeah, I, I agree. If it's if if you're cutting it from 30 to 15, I think that's stupid. I mean, I'll, and I'll say that pretty bluntly. But whatever, lots of people are doing it. But don't tell me one thing and then do another. Um, especially if it's going to be a big shift from what it was previously. That's just annoying. And I think anyone can empathize with that. If any, if you're in any kind of line of work and just the schedule changes and nobody informs you beforehand when it was easily knowable beforehand. Um, yes. So anyway, all that being said about, uh, I've given my rant on open practices before. I'm an absolutist. I think it should all be open. You just set rules for the media. Hey, don't report on formations. Don't report on plays, but. It's the way it used to be. We used to... They could even say don't report on player status, but... Don't report on player status. Don't report on any any kind of plays, any kind of formations. You can just... If you just say, this guy caught this ball, he looked good. That, that sort of stuff. And, like, if I can evaluate, especially younger guys who aren't playing. Like, I would yeah. like to be able to do that. Because it informs... It informs the fun of this for a lot of the fans. Like, if you can follow the progress of a younger player as he goes through the program, like, that's the kind of stuff we used to do when practices were open, and it was fun that way. Like, it was, you know, enjoyable, not only to cover it, but also, I think, for fans to follow along. So, anyway. I mean, there are some guys we don't, we don't know. This is really unusual, actually. There are some guys we don't, we don't know. We're not familiar with them. Yeah. I mean, Croy Stewart, Isaiah Newcomb, you know. Croy uh, Stewart's a redshirt freshman cornerback. Uh, we barely we seen saw him, him a yeah. bit in spring, but he was like with third, fourth string, so we didn't see him that much. Yeah. Um. So w- we've never even seen this guy really play. <laughs> yeah, and it's just you know people ask Chris like, and we try to do a good enough job after spring now. But if you remember, we used to be able to do a scout team report where we evaluated all the guys on the scout team, all the younger guys after signing day. Because we saw them so much during the season that we were able to write an accurate report about how these guys are developing. It would be nice to be able to do that again. And that there is no game plan value to writing about the fourth string defensive lineman who's a true freshman who's redshirting, right? Um, and honest to God, that's 90% of the reason I would want access anyway. Okay, but anyway, okay. from what we've uh, heard and seen, um, you know, uh, the quarterback competition is still a competition. We'll see how that plays out. Um, yeah, you know, Dante Moore and Ethan Garbers both had good first days. Um, you know, watching them on the hoof, so to speak. Gary Smith looks healthy. Uh, he looks pretty good. Um, uh, from the linebackers, Femi Oladejo still looks like a just uh, absolute physical stud. Uh, I liked the look of Zeke Thomas. Um, he looks long, moves pretty well from what we can tell in backpedaling drills. Uh, Jordan Anderson, you know, I, I described him as pluggier than Zeke Thomas. I don't know if he's pluggy, but he's not, you know, a long six, four guy, uh, like Zeke Thomas is, but he looks, you know, he was moving pretty well out there. Uh, I thought he moved really well in the drills. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I were, did you have any additional takeaways? Cause those were my main ones from the defensive groups we could see. Uh, I mean, both you and I thought Larry Edwards, the third. Yeah. Uh, we're calling him Trey Edwards. Uh, so he came into spring, he was a little chunky, and both you and I said, oh, well, he'll get, you know, he's supposed to be a senior in high school. He'll get that body under control. Uh, well, be interesting to see him in August. In our opinion, he's gone the other way. Um, he's working with the inside linebackers, and he looked... Thicker. He, he looked like a defensive lineman. Yeah. That, that's the way he was going. I mean, he was 240 probably in spring. That was 255. He's right. carrying a lot of mass in his lower half too. Like that's yeah. the thing that I, I that stands out to me, and it's not a negative. Like some people's bodies go a certain way, and he got slimmer from the beginning of spring to the end. But if every time you're kind of off and doing your off season workouts, you're just getting bigger, you're you're fighting genetics at that point. Like you gotta because yeah. they're on they're on meal plans and stuff. Like if you're just if you're still just gathering mass when you're doing off season workouts then it's, you know, it's. I think sooner rather than later, it might make sense to try your hand, putting your hand in the dirt. Yeah. Uh, he's going that way if this is the way he's going. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, God, I don't know if there's too much. Uh, I mean, I got a little inside tip, some inside information about what the coaches thought after the pra- first practice yesterday, and that was Jay Michael Sturdivant was the best player on the field. 
Uh, Garbers had an edge over Dante Moore, but of course, first day, um, long way to go. Uh, that was a, a good practice overall for the first day. Um, I'll tell you, though, there there is some talk, and we should probably talk about it ourselves, about Dante Moore. Um, and it's kind of hard to talk about it because I can't tell you everything. But um, let's say if, uh, let's just hypothetically say there's a situation where there might be some frustration over the NIL situation. What happens, what happens, different scenarios, Dave. He He's frustrated, and I'll just say it's his own frustration. <laughs> um, and then he starts and then leaves after a year, or he doesn't win the position and leaves after the year, or he stays. I mean, there's a there are a lot of people who are close to this situation that are, are starting to think about it right now. And I mean, I know we're second day of August camp, but if you start thinking about it, knowing some of the things I know, it's, it's a tough situation. I don't necessarily see this all going really well because it's either he's really good and then he goes out and markets himself for another NIL deal and, and probably transfers or he doesn't win the position and he's frustrated and UCLA is frustrated with him and he leaves anyway. I mean, I know there'll be fans out there saying, Tracy, you're just speculating, but I'm not. <laughs> um, so yeah, go ahead, Dave. What do you think? Well, I mean, it's certainly a tricky, tricky uh, situation to navigate. And also we can't share all the details, so it's hard to get too in depth on it. But um, what I would say is I think you lean further back on the idea of just best man wins. Um, just when you're, when you're in doubt on, um, stuff, not to sound all Chip Kelly, but when you're in doubt about some of the extraneous factors, stick to your controllables and that's just evaluate what you see on the field and don't take the other parameters into account. So Ethan Garbers, if he looks better in August, start him and play him. Um, this is for Chip Kelly. There's a, there's a, there's this future idea that is still, you know, out there where, oh, he could be here for a long time. But there's also the reality that he's currently under a very university-friendly contract uh, with a very university-friendly buyout, and he still needs to win every year. Like, he needs to show every single season, especially once things get serious in the Big Ten. So for him, okay, maybe in a theoretical world where NIL doesn't exist, playing Dante Moore is the upside play, right? But can you afford but but let's just say let's just posit that that it's the upside play even if he's not necessarily the better quarterback right then but if you're chip kelly can you even afford to do that and that's i think the thing that also has to be factored in here is he has to think about his own you know what does he need to do to continue to stay at ucla and i think that's win this year and if if you go into august and it's dante moore who's clearly better then play dante moore because he's going to be your better quarterback if it's Ethan Garbers, is clearly better than play Ethan Garbers. He's going to be your better quarterback and give you a better chance to win. If it's even, I think that's where get things get tricky. Um, and if it's still even at the end of August, I think they're going to be in a in an odd situation. And I think then you get into, uh, first and foremost, player politics. Who do the players support? Who do they think is the better quarterback of the two? Um, and I think there's other factors that you can get into even before you get into the, the stuff that's way off the field. I'll just say this. If it's, if it's even Ethan Garber should start. I'll just say that. All right. Knowing, knowing some of the little politics going on. And you know, if you, if you get a five-star guy with a lot of NIL, this is big boy football. You got to step up and manage your five-star guy with NIL. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, that, I'll and say that. maybe we'll be able to get into more details about this uh, later. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, football practice. And then we got to talk about the, I mean, it's the elephant outside the room. It's the elephant that previously rampaged through our room. Uh, now it is maybe tearing down a whole city block. Realignment, baby, is, uh, is coming for the rest of the Pac-12 um, in the next couple of days, um, according to us according to others isn't there a meeting to, tonight yeah according to literally everybody 
there's going to be some major shifts. Uh, more than likely, so the word right now is that Arizona, gone. Like, pretty much done deal, Big 12. ASU Utah expected to follow quickly on their heels, if not at the exact same time. Oregon and Washington are being looked at by the Big Ten heavily, um, and it's really just a question of whether they're going to get TV network sign-off on adding them, um, which means basically Wilner had a good story on this today because he's really good when you get into the financials of this stuff. It's basically to make them make sense financially, the Big Ten needs to come up with another $500 million in TV money over the next uh, over the next um, uh, seven years. If they can do that, if somebody will come up and offer it, uh, that'll be that'll be pretty uh, that will that will that will fix the problem for them. So got it. So pretty much, Dave. Well, we'll get into more details, but I mean, let's just take the big takeaway. What what do you say is the status of the Pac-12? Hang on one second. Because uh, this is this is important to get into. Um, here's what I would say is the status of the Pac-12. It's taps, baby. This thing's That's dead. Taps, dead as hell. Dead God, as hell. We were so good at setting that up. Um, just wow. absolutely annihilated. Uh, it's done. There's there's been a lot of like bargaining I think from Klyavkov from uh, a lot of members in the media about how do you save this thing. There was talk of backfilling with like Colorado State, with San Diego State, with SMU, with a variety of these um, also rands. But the 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 idea that you can do that at this late stage and that you'll be able to come up with the money for buyouts from media contracts and that these schools are all going to want to sign on with a league that is uh, clearly poorly led that is in its death throes. Uh, it, 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 it beggars belief. Um, the, the, the reality is what, uh, pessimists like myself, uh, and others all said immediately after UCLA and USC left, which is the way this ends up is more or less with the PAC 12 dying and things going in their pretty logical direction, which is, the, the Southwest, the, the, the Arizona's, Utah and Colorado, they make sense in the Big 12, off they go. Oregon and Washington, maybe they end up in the Big 10, and then the rest of the schools, more or less Mountain West. We'll see what happens with Cal and Stanford. Um, you know, they certainly have the academic cachet to maybe be attractive to the Big 10 in a previous universe, but I don't think they're going to be attractive to Fox. Um, and so you're going to end up with a situation where it's – I think it's the dissolution of the league. I don't think the Pac-12 continues. Um, even a reformed Pac-12 continues past this year. I think this is it. So, so let's get into a little bit of like a Pac-12 uh, conference time machine. Yes. Uh, let's just go back. Let's just go. I mean, uh, we could go back just a few years and with and second guess Larry Scott. And this might not be appropriate, but let's go back to first um, – I think it was 2011. Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech mm-hmm. were being uh, were being considered for the Pac-12. Um, pretty much Oklahoma and Texas, the Pac-12 could have got Oklahoma, Texas. Larry Scott turned that down. Yes. Right. Yeah, he told. He, well, and so there were some factors. DeLos Dodds, the uh, the Texas guy. Came to L.A. and basically at the last minute tried to. Um, there, Larry, there, Scott's, there, Larry Scott's Malibu Beach House. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, there isn't a polite way to say this, so I'm just going to say it the way it's said. He tried to big dick the Pac-12 uh, right then. He tried to say, "Well, I'll come, but you got you got to allow you got to carve out for the Longhorn Network, and we need to get unequal revenue." Now, in retrospect of right now, that's a deal. Maybe they should have done that, but I think there were other off ramps in the intervening 12 years that would have made that unnecessary. Like, I think there were other decisions that could have been made that would have rendered the PAC 12 still a very healthy and viable league today. But, but the okay, first well, one, the yeah, first yeah. major one was you could have but been what, the, the, yeah. the, the push of a major expansion and you chose not to. 
When did Oklahoma and Texas decide? What was the date when they decided to join the SEC? It was, I think, it was literally a single year before UCLA and USC. So let's say that was then two two thousand and twenty one. Right. Right. Um, that, that's ten years. They could have got the Pac twelve could have got a clue in two thousand seventeen and eighteen. Hey, let's go revisit this Oklahoma and Texas thing. This might be something that might be a good idea. Yeah. Right? So, wow. Just a lack of, you know, it's, again, we've talked about it. Arrogance, hubris, the Pac-12 thinking, oh, we're in a position of strength. Without seeing how this was going to happen or what was going to go down. So the bigger issue, the far bigger. Yeah, let's just throw out Oklahoma and Texas, but just let's take the time machine back to, what, 2019? No, I I want to go to an intervening thing because this is okay. this is significantly important. Okay. The much bigger issue for me is 2012 when okay. they unveil the Pac-12 networks. Um this was a thing that should have been dead in the crib at conception. Like this is it's absolutely absolutely insane that they signed off on this that they thought this was a good idea. And in retrospect it looks insane. Let's have uh six different networks um, let's have to fill out content for all of those six different networks with things that nobody ever has wanted to watch that nobody watches provably. So because these are, as the words themselves say, non-revenue sports, and we're going to fill out these networks with that content that nobody watches. And we're going to think that we have so much leverage that we're going to leverage direct TV and we're going to leverage all these cable companies to show not just one, not just the main network, but all of these networks that they're going to be packaged together in main packages for the cable network. Um, thinking that that could happen, thinking that they were ever going to get traction doing that, that was the death blow right there and sticking with it throughout that process where they were hemorrhaging money. Um, you know, they, they had offices in San Francisco. Uh, they had studios in San Francisco, which is not historically the place where you want to put studios. If you want to put studios anywhere, you put them in L.A. And I remember the report that the rent on the Pac-12 offices in San Francisco was something like five times that of the SEC. By the time they were done paying rent on it, they could have bought a place in downtown San Francisco. Like they they spent an exorbitant amount on rent. Um, But all of that being said, the the main issue when you're looking at what happened with the Pac-12, revenue got so out of whack, got so far behind the other leagues the Pac-12 was always behind the Big Ten and the SEC in when you're doing apples to apples, when they were at similar points of their media deals. The Pac-12 was always going to be a little bit behind. Um, and that was a that was a comfortable place for everyone to be in. Like if the Pac-12, if... if uh, but it was third. Yeah. For revenue. It was third. So let's just make sure we retain that bit of knowledge. Right. So, but projecting ahead, the expectation was... They're going to be twenty-five to thirty million dollars behind the Big Ten, um, based on just the absolute crap that's been going on with the Pac-12 networks, um, and the fact that they didn't have a continuing relationship at that huge, very important level with ESPN with Fox. If you had done something like what the Big Ten did, where they've partnered with Fox for the Big Ten network, maybe things are different. Maybe they're doing something a little bit different now where they've got a built-in relationship with one of these major TV networks. But instead, they tried to go it alone. They tried to, you know, hold on to their rights. And the end result is they now have possession of their rights and nobody wants them. I, I, I know people who are close to the situation who, who said um, the main mistake, and, I, and that's why I was saying about 2018, because I think this was being discussed internally in the Pac-12 at that time and at other times. Um, The basic theory from people who are very close to this, if the Pac-12 had just had a little bit of humility or, or in, you know, uh, intelligence and said, you know, we better cut UCLA and USC a bigger, a bigger piece of this pie. They are UCLA and USC is now getting the same revenue as Oregon state and Washington state. And that's not smart. <laughs> uh, we could potentially lose them. That's a huge market 
uh, and if you lose UCLA and USC, you've pretty much lost the Pac-12. So we're going to have to come up and, and get all the presidents to sign off, and that would have been a huge task. I've heard that Washington was the most resistant to it, that they thought, why should UCLA and USC get, get more? We're just as good as they are. You know, it should have been a long process of whoever was, you know, we're talking Larry Scott or whoever it was, to convince the rest of the Pac-12 that UCLA, they needed to retain UCLA and USC. If they had done that, people at UCLA right now are telling me, if UCLA could have got a deal for, let's say the Pac-12 was intact, Dave, it would have been $30 million, let's say. Right. Yeah. Well, if if U.S. I think it's somewhat incalculable because they've put themselves in such a bad negotiating position. I would say thirty-five to forty is probably what they would have ended up. Thirty-five to forty. If UCLA and USC could have come out with forty-eight to fifty, from what I'm hearing, UCLA would have really, uh, really wanted to stay. Yeah, I think, and I think that's a no doubter, and I think it would have been stupid for them to leave if they were getting that. So I, I agree with you. I think that was another off ramp is but the one thing I'll say about that is it does have a destabilizing effect in the long run or even in the medium run. But it was a way yeah, to survive. Yeah. Are we talk are we talking destabilization? Yeah, no. And totally. Because right it, now, it I think it's pretty. It would have fixed things for a while um, or at least kept things in place for five, ten years or whatever. Um, so those were those were some critical ones, I think, as recently Here's the, I guess, the question that's that's important to answer is: Did George Klyavkov have a real chance? Like, did he have a chance to fix this, or was this on a uh, pretty much guaranteed uh, run into the ground, starting literally once he started in 2021? That's a good question. Uh, I'm he, even if he didn't have a chance, he didn't handle it well. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, well, let's just think, what could he have done? He loses UCLA and USC. He could have done exactly what you just said. Um, he could have done that immediately. But I, yep. I, I kind of, that's a tough thing to do immediately after you start in a job when you're still trying to get lay of the land and, and talk to people. But I know Mike Bone uh, publicly said they're considering all options in the intervening year between Klyavkov's hiring and then when they announced that they were leaving. So... That's a that's a public shot across the bow that should have been reckoned with. Uh, yeah, and, it and if that's a public shot, you can imagine what was being said said privately. Exactly. Get this done or we're out. Right, and maybe he's thinking, oh, it's posturing. They don't want to leave. It doesn't make sense. And I think for a lot of people, it still like for me, it still doesn't like the geographic sense of it is still very hard to wrap my mind around. And I can understand if you're a if you're a traditionalist mindset to look at it and say, oh, there's no way they're leaving. They're just posturing. Maybe we can renegotiate this at the end of the day uh, with the next deal, um, not thinking that they were going to, you know, before even negotiations start, bounce for the Big Ten. Um, but that was an opportunity. If being proactive, being, um, you know, say this, the kind of leader that Mick Cronin is. Uh, might have been able to figure this out. Wow, that Dave, full circle there. Yeah, but if you're thinking about a guy who can pivot tactically before things become a disaster, um, that's the kind of leader that the Pac-12 needed, and they didn't have it. Now, I don't know. Klyavkov, uh, head of a stable league, like if you threw Klyavkov in to replace Tom Hansen back in 2009, are things different right now? I think yeah, but it's not. You're right, but it's not a stable environment. No, I mean, and it's totally This unstable. is what dictates whether you're a good... Uh, manager here yep, uh, and he's not i mean we are in a completely unpredictable environment that's going to change every year probably for the next eight at least um yeah i i think he i think he could have saved it i i think he came he always assumed he was coming from a position of power yep or or leverage and that was fundamentally wrong yeah and now and, look, it, and now it's going to blow up and now the pac-12 is dead um and it's so let's talk about like that mountain west well oregon state washington state and probably cal i mean what i've heard and i think it's it's represented out there in a lot of other media reports the big 10 while they're reviewing cal and stanford they're not going to offer cal and stanford 
No. It, At least now. It might maybe years down the line. Well, because there's factors in the ACC right now that are going to, I think, keep the Big Ten from offering too many schools. It might even prevent them from offering Oregon and Washington because they're going to want to yeah. see now, uh, are Florida and my Florida State and Miami going to come loose? And if they are, are those more attractive markets to be in than Oregon and Washington? And I do know one thing, though. And this this will make you happy. I do. I have a source that's been telling me the Big Ten has is very aware about creating a West pod for the for its conference, and that's that's one of the main attractions to Oregon and Washington. Well, the reality is, if they want to create a West pod, they probably need more than two more schools because the. Well, but it helps. Yeah, it certainly <laughs> helps. Um, basically, the math is. For every two schools you add, it's one fewer uh, crazy cross-country road trip you have to take. So if you add four schools, then you only have to do uh, one to two cross-country road trips every year. Um, right. But if you add only one, then you're still doing two or three. But yeah, any little bit helps. Um, but it's so that Mountain West. So first, the Mountain West will improve. Um, it'll be a pretty fun league to watch. Um, you add Oregon State and Washington State to a league that already includes Boise State, Fresno State, and San Diego State. Like from a just watchability standpoint, that's going to be kind of fun. Like if you if you just want to watch enjoyable football, I think you're going to have a good time. Uh, adding Cal doesn't do anything for that. Cal will be a back half Mountain West team, um, but you know on the front end it'll be nice. Uh, Stanford, I don't I, I don't see them agreeing to go Mountain West, at least no, long no, no. term. I could yeah. see them maybe just like doing kind From of what a Notre Dame with the ACC where they've got like a half on, half off relationship where they play some yeah. football games with them occasionally, but that's it. Don't forget, their thinking right now is the way this is all going towards uh, players, uh, student athletes being employees, and all, they don't want any part of that. Yeah, screw athletics. They'll be done with it. They uh, no, they'll just join the Ivy League. Yeah, I mean they'll be the Ivy League West. Um, that's where they don't want any part of it. So that's really, you know, top of mind when it comes to their decision. So there's no Mountain West. They'll go independent at least initially for a while until maybe this sorts out. Maybe waits. Maybe wait for Notre Dame to get that to go into the uh, get that offer from the well to take the offer from the Big Ten and it pairs up with that. That, from what I've heard, would be something obviously Stanford would be interested in. But Stanford, there's no easy scenario for them moving forward. I mean, Cal, there's none, really, unless somehow. Unless the the Big Big Ten Ten, decides they're going to 20 no matter what and they want those two schools. But like you said, would you take Cal and let's say Stanford right now, after you've already taken Oregon and Washington, would you take those two? When the ACC might be up for grabs? Well, so, all right. So I've got comp. So it depends on whose shoes I'm putting myself in. Am I putting my shoes in the TV executive? Am I putting my feet in the TV executives? Because then no. They probably have nice shoes. But if I'm saying um, I'm a Big Ten president and I want my league to have a measure of stability going forward, then I think you do and you push for it. And I think that's actually part of the conversation right now is that some of these presidents are saying, well, we want this West Coast pod. And Fox is balking even at doing Oregon and Washington. Um, but I think if you're looking at what makes the league stable, what makes it not have to break at the seams eventually, um, is to allow UCLA and USC to have some level of comfort in this league. And now I think USC is hard against the idea of adding Oregon and Washington. And I think UCLA is a little bit more ambivalent. Um, but I think that's both showing tremendous lack of foresight. Um I think the the reality is that whatever whatever meager recruiting advantage you think you're gaining by not allowing them into the league is offset by the massive competitive disadvantage you're going to have from playing up to four road games a year where you have to travel multiple time zones while all of your competitors only have to come back to you one time at most. Uh, to me, it's it's that same kind of lack of vision, short sightedness that got the Pac-12 <laughs> in the hot water where it is for USC to just really resist yeah is it oregon and washington or just oregon 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 they hate uh usc people do not like oregon um and you know it's letting phil knight's because they out recruit him every year is that basically letting Mm -hmm. phil knight's wallet into the league is not something they're super excited about but i would say 
USC, if you're doing your job right, like if you are running your NIL schemes the way you should be, and if you have a recruiting staff in place that's doing its job, you really shouldn't have that much to fear from Oregon. Um, so just do your thing, losers. Um, so Ooh. anyway, um, all of that there being all of that being said, there's there's obviously a bunch of stuff that's going to happen in the next couple of days. Um, I was and say, let's just say, Dave, we're we're sad about the Pac-12. Gen- and this is what I wanted to get to is. Yeah. I'm sad about the Pac-12. I'm also sad about the state of college football. Like, this is not, quote-unquote, good. I think it's good for UCLA that they have a seat That was the, the thing. That, that We're being selfless here. I think this is really good for UCLA. I don't think it's good for college football, and I'm sad about the Pac-12. Yeah, it, it sucks for college football. I think it sucks for the regionality of the sport. I think it sucks for, you know, I, people, like, say, oh, I never want to go to Corvallis again. But the idea of Corvallis existing and occasionally just, like, absolutely murdering some team it has absolutely no business doing in that weird little stadium, Razor Stadium, up in Corvallis, that's going to be lost because nobody's going to schedule that game if they don't have to. So USC going up there and just tripping uh, on, you know, a bunch of beavers, uh, you know, every other year <laughs> – that's not going to happen anymore. Uh, Washington State, things getting weird in Pullman. That's not going to happen anymore. Washington State didn't schedule a Power 5 team out of conference for like 30 years. Now it's going to be, when are they ever going to schedule a Power 5 team at home ever again? Because nobody's going to sign up to go there. So there's just some stuff that's being lost in this whole realignment thing, this expansion thing. And my only hope is that there's an elasticity to it, that it all just kind of... We're all coming together, and then uh, the realities of the geography and why all of these conferences existed in the first place will become apparent to everyone when USC and UCLA are losing two extra games a year and West Virginia is playing Big 12 home games against Arizona or whatever it is, and everyone just has a moment of, hey, what if we all come together, create a national TV package, and split out into our conferences again? How about that? Well, I think this is what's going to happen, though. Uh, Within a few years... Uh, there'll be football and basketball and then the rest of the uh, sports in your athletic department will essentially kind of be club teams. Um, I would bet, you know, UCLA volleyball uh, is going to end up out of the big 10 within a few years and playing in a conference made up of California teams, Arizona. It's just, it's not feasible that, to travel those teams to the big 10 and it makes no money for you. It just, it's all cost 100% costing you a lot of money. And they're going to look up and say, why are we doing this? Why let's just create another league that they'll play in on the West coast. Yep. It's going to go that way. And the dissolution of the PAC 12 is going to help with that because there's going to, I don't think there'd be any willingness for a 10 team PAC 12 to let UCLA and USC play their Olympic sports in that league. But something like the MPSF could be created for what remains on the West coast, which are all those same schools and where they could play their Olympic sports. There we go. We just, I I wouldn't say we solved it, but we pretty much projected what's going to happen. There you go. All right. Well, I think that's it. It's an action packed show. Hope you all enjoy it again. If you haven't already um, and you've got, by the time this goes up, you've probably got another six hours to sign up for the 75% off deal. Again, it's the best deal we offer. Uh, you're getting a lot of really, really great content for very, very little money, and you're going to get uh, immense, insane enjoyment out of uh, the many friendly denizens of our message boards. All the inside things we've just dropped in the last two days. I'm pitching right? the message board. People want that. They need it. I know, but it. we got to pitch the inside information, man. Mm. That was ama- that's been amazing. We got they the already listened to that. unofficial visits. We got the inside scoop from football practice on on who looked good. Come on. You get you can't get any place else. Yeah. Well, we just threw that out for an hour. Now we can pitch okay. them on the message board. Okay, I like that. All You're right. right. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruno Port Online. We'll talk to you again next time. See y'all.